Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Good morning, everyone. It's great to have people in this room. Uh, oh, I didn't think I'd cry coming up on stage. It took me two seconds. Okay. I know for many of you, you're probably coming in here today. This is your first time being in church. You're like, wow, there's nobody here. And for us, we're like, wow, there's so many people here. This is fantastic. So I thank you to our AV crew, our worship team, everyone who works behind the scene, all our staff. Uh, just to even get to this point, everyone at home watching, we just thank you for hanging in with us this year. As Andrew always says, the church is never closed. We just haven't gathered in person. We have the privilege now of gathering back and worshiping God together. Uh, thankful for that video. Thank you, Nicole. Nicole is one of our uh, members of our board of elders, and I just appreciate your honesty and sharing your passion and your heart uh, here at First Alliance. As we dive into the series, I think the time that you grow up in shapes the way you see the world. You know, if you grew up, you came to your formative years in you know, 16 to 25 years old in the 30s and 40s, especially in the West, World War II. Uh, would have shaped the way you see the world. If you grew up in the 60s and 70s, it's the civil rights movements in, the, in America that would have changed the way you understood things. If you grew up in the 80s, I mean, Reagan, Thatcher, and I think the wackiest, wildest times of hairstyles and puffy shoulders and fashion and history, it's incredible. I love the 80s. You know, if you grew up in the 90s to the mid-2000s, what would have shaped your thought was this coming together of the world. Economic prosperity, the world was doing well. There's something called the internet was emerging, and it was like bringing us together. We thought about the global village, and there was like this hope hope that the world would come together. Then 2008 struck, and the economy took a tumble. People realized if you're young, you couldn't buy a house anymore if you tried your best or, you know, or mortgaged your future children. <laughs> like, it's, it's incredible to think uh, hope was kind of diminished, prosperity and option, like, uh, options for future employment. You know, if you ask someone in 2014 to 2020, what are the things that have shaped our culture the most? I would say it's racial tension and identity politics. Discerning gender and identity politics and identity, whether race or gender, have become a huge component of the narrative in our society. It's shaping everything we do and how we view the world. You know, Tim Keller, a renowned preacher from New York City who planted a church somewhere where no one thought churches could grow, was asked, hey, if you were to start all over again and, and plant another church now, what would you do differently? His response was simple. I preach more about identity. You see, how we see ourselves shapes how we live our lives. Uh, these are the, qu the questions we ask, who am I, how do I fit into this world, how do I understand myself as a human being, shape everything we do. And today as we continue in our series uh, on justice, our summer series on justice, I, and as we explore scriptures in Galatians chapter 3, I hope we will see that identity is central to who we are and central in the fight for raci racial justice. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open up to Galatians chapter 3, whether on your computer or your phone or just in your lap in front of you, and kind of keep it open to Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. We are in a nine-week kind of summer series, and I think the big question we want to ask here is how do we think biblically about justice? 
You know, most people have a passion or a concern for justice. They care for different things that burns within their heart. Yet the question we have to ask as followers of Jesus is, what does the Bible, and how does the Bible speak into this? If you haven't had a chance uh, to listen to the first sermon in the series from July 4th that Pastor Andrew preached, I invite you to go back and just listen to our podcast or listen to that sermon. There's just so many great things about the big picture of justice that we need to remember, that we need to understand justice through the biblical story. We need to remember that when God created us, he created us in his image. We reflect God and his creation, yet we also have to remember how deep the consequences of sin are go. We have to remember that sin destroys us as individuals. It separates us from God. It, it, it permeates our structures and our systems. And read the Bible. It even destroys the environment and everything around us. The consequences of sin are deep. Yet we also have to remember from a biblical perspective of who Jesus is and what he has done. I loved what Andrew said, justice flows from the nature and character of our God. It's not some cool, like, idea that we need to do or something that we're a part of. It's the nature and character of the God we worship. Well, as we dive into Galatians chapter 3, it's just good to kind of keep that as the big picture. Thankful to Gordon Fee for this quote, but one of the big pictures of what's going on in Galatians chapter 3 is this. One of the questions being asked is simply, who are the true children or seed of Abraham? and thus true heirs of the promise made to Abraham. And Paul, the Apostle Paul's answer is simple. Those, especially Gentiles, who have faith like Abraham. You see, at that time, those who had followed Jesus mainly were Jewish followers. They would have seen Jesus as a Jewish man, and they would have seen, and kind of maybe not even realizing it, that, hey, you kind of need to be Jewish, or the Jewish way is the best way. Like, Jesus' way is a Jewish way. Yet what Paul is trying to point out here is simply this. What brings us together? Or what's, who are the true heirs? It's those who have faith in Christ and are his children. You know, he wants people to realize that it's not one race over another, one that is better than the other. But the most important thing in our identity as Christians is that we place our faith in Christ and we are called children of God. If you look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29, let me just read our text for today. In verse 26, it reads, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul wants us to understand something important. He wants us to see that as for those who follow Jesus and place their faith in him, the key is our new primary identity is simply that we are children of God. And this is huge. Our identity as followers of Jesus is that we are children of God. And Paul uses two word pictures to really emphasize this. We see him talk about baptism and clothing with Christ. If you look at that text, he says in verse 27, for, you are all, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You know, baptism is this beautiful picture. And it is a picture of the beginning of our journey with Christ. 
Uh, those who are baptized, you ever watch a baptism? It's always fun to watch someone go into the water and come back out in an adult baptism. And we have this picture of like your sin being washed away and you being clothed with Christ. The old self gone and the new self emerging. This is the beginning of the Christian story. See, Paul wants them to realize it's not that you're a Jew or a Gentile, that, that you're Persian or that you're Canadian. What matters is that you've placed your faith in Jesus and your new identity is one where you've died to sin and risen with Christ and you're clothed with Jesus as his child. You know, the second analogy he uses there, the second word picture is that of clothing, of being clothed with Christ. And, and this is, I mean, this is a harder one for us today. I would say I probably have more pairs of clothing in my house than someone in the ancient Near East ever owned in their life. I wish I could be a preacher from those days because I would, sure, I could wear the same outfit every Sunday and no one would say a single thing. It'd be much cheaper. Yet clothing was always given as a gift, as a new start. You know, clothing was sacred. It was special. You just don't kind of throw it away or give it haphazardly. Now, I didn't realize Jonathan Deborah would be here today, but we are thankful because you were, you were married here in this church not too long ago. And the joy of watching your wedding when you were here was you wore this beautiful dress and it was a sacred ceremony, the two of you being brought together in union with Christ together in the, the beautiful bond of marriage. Now, Deborah, I've never asked you this, but I'm guessing that when you bought your wedding dress, you didn't like, you know, go to the supermarket and pick up a few groceries in it. You didn't go to work. You didn't go play some hoops. Uh, and you didn't play a game of tackle football in the mud. I'm pretty sure about that. I'm getting a no, so that's good. Why? That dress is sacred. You kept it for your wedding day because that piece of clothing marked a new start, a new journey into marriage. Just like when we are clothed with Christ, it marks a new journey of our adventure and life together with Christ. See, what Paul really wants us to see and here's the gift of the book of Galatians. He wants us to see that now, as followers of Jesus, we are children of God. Why is that a big deal? Because it's an externally given gift rather than an eternally, internally selected identity. Let me say that again. It is an externally given gift rather than an internally selected identity. You know, in this age where we are trying to figure out who we are and how we see ourselves, the king of the universe, the one who created the world, calls us to himself. And when we place our trust in him, he gives us this identity as children of God. How big a deal is that? It's transformative. You know, it's, this is the God of the universe who all of a sudden decides to call us uh, we can be called sons and daughters of the king. That's an incredible identity and an incredible gift. What does this mean? It means that our identity as children of God is God's gift to us. And it means that we start to be formed in the story of God. We are formed in that beautiful story that we are created in God's image. Yet when sin took over the world uh, and, and separated us from God, God in his great love and justice and mercy sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That moment on the cross is the greatest act in favor of justice ever done. This gift of an identity as children of God is God's gift to us it forms us in his story. And now we are known as sons and daughters of the king. You know, Nicole had talked about that in, 
she talked about many great things, but I think one of the things that this identity does, just to be clear, it respects our differences and our different cultures, but it brings us together under Christ. See, that's the beauty of the gospel, and this is why the gospel tends to be such a great global religion. Go to any country throughout the world, you will find Christians worshiping in ways that are appropriate to their culture, praising and worshiping the same true story from Scripture of a God who created the world and sent his son to die so that those who place their faith in him could have eternal life and an abundant life with him forever. See, the identity as children draws us together in Christ, and it's just a wonderful thing. Now, the question you might be asking is, great, Tim, that's wonderful. Uh, We are children of God. What does this have to do with racism? Well, I think the working out of the gospel in the church is a call to no longer live as a Jew or a Gentile, but as children of God. Not a whitewashing of culture and getting rid of our culture for some new superculture, but being united as children of God, yet those gifts that God has given us of our unique different cultures actually now become a blessing as they help us point each other to the gospel of Christ. But here's the challenge. You would assume that, hey, if we're all just children of God, uh, we are sons and daughters of the king, and this works out just perfectly, there shouldn't be any racism anymore. Yeah, what? I don't think I need to convince anyone that's not really the case of how it's worked out in the world, right? I mean, look at the Bible. These men who followed Jesus, these apostles, these people who walked with him every day, who knew his way, they hated Samaritans still. They walked close to Jesus and they still hated their neighbor and had trouble loving the people around them. Think about the book of Acts. When revival was breaking out, 3,000 people were coming to faith every day and and lives were being transformed. In Acts 6, we have the Hebraic Jewish widows and the Hellenistic Jewish widows having a dispute because it seemed that one was getting more food in the distribution of food to these widows. See, these these biases, these prejudices still exist in the church, even amongst those who are God-fearing and follow Jesus and understand the good news of the gospel. You know, there's many ways that we can view racism. Some people like to see it through the lens of the individual, that there's sin in our heart or there's brokenness and we just need to change and be transformed, and that's going to end the issue. Others look at systemic or structural issues. Even if you change laws, there are still structures and systems that oppress and keep people in bondage and uh, limit opportunities for certain groups to rise up. Other people can uh, can view racism through the lens of oppressed oppressor, where where the goal is for those who are the oppressor to give up their, uh, their power and give voice to those who are oppressed. You know, all of these have values as interpretive lenses and to view things in different ways. But let's go back to the main story of Scripture. What does Scripture say about these things? Well, in God's Scripture, we see in Genesis 1 and 2 that God created humankind in His image. And this is really key because this is a game changer in the way we understand justice. We get our worth and value from a God who created us. You know, if you believe that we are just material, uh, that there is no right or wrong, that we are just you know, atoms floating and there's nothing greater than that, you have no rooting to actually say there is a right or wrong or that this group should not oppress another. 
You know, you take someone like Darwin who formed his philosophy of just the naturalistic world, and you take someone like Friedrich Nietzsche who jumped onto that and simply said, hey, if we're not going to believe, if we believe we're just atoms and that's all we are, well, here's one of the realities. God is dead. There are no ethics. There are no morality. There is no such thing as justice. May the strong survive and the weak fail. You know who took that philosophy and ran with it? Hitler. He took that philosophy and ran and simply said, listen, it must be the Aryans that are the strongest and the gypsies and the Jews and everyone else must be weak and we're only doing humankind a service to get rid of them. That's the danger. The idea that the Christian story, that we are created in God's image is really key and not just for Christians because the Christian view of Imago Dei created in God's image means that every human being, whether a follower of Jesus or not, has inherent worth and value. That's huge. Most of our world loves this idea, but they don't want to accept the Christ that gives them this idea, uh, what this idea is grounded in. The second thing that's key to understand from the biblical story, and I just challenge you, just to, I think it's important to understand how important it is to think biblically about this. It's just to think how deep uh, sin permeates and breaks everything. I know sin isn't going to make you, uh, you know, talking about sin is never like yeah, the happiest topic to talk about. But in order to understand the story of Scripture, we have to realize that when humankind chose to go their own way, sin broke into this world. It, it, it clouded the way we think. It destroyed us as individuals. It, it destroyed systems and structures. It, it, it destroyed our environment and our world. And sin is so pervasive and everywhere in our world. But thanks be to God, because this is what our Savior did. In the midst of that pain and suffering that sin had caused upon our hearts, upon the systems and structures and our environment, he sent Jesus. And this is the greatest act of justice in human history. Christ coming to this world living a perfect life, dying on the cross for the sins of humankind so that us who have caused one of the greatest injustices in, in human history can be reconciled to the creator of the universe through faith in Christ. Without a deep understanding of a biblical worldview, without a deep understanding of that like we are created in God's image, that sin is broken into this world, and, and what Christ has done for us on the cross... We will only come up with band-aid solutions uh, in the fight against racism. Without a deep understanding of creation, sin, and the work of Christ, we will only come up with a band-aid solution for racism. You know, what Nicole talked about then in that video was so key and so important. We have failed in this conversation. Why? Because we have placed our hope in human ability and fail to remember that we are led by Christ. The reality is we have placed our ability in our, in our minds, our, our human wisdom, in the political left, in the political right. Yet the reality is that we are led by Christ, and without an understanding that we are created in his image, that sin has broken this world, and that Jesus has given up his life for us and to reconcile and bring us back to him, we will never have an understanding or be able to come up with anything more than a band-aid solution for racism in this world. You see, God's call for the church is simply one that calls the church to end all distinctions, uh, to not see one race as more important than others, but to take our identity as children of God 
and make that central in our lives and live out of that glorious identity as sons and daughters of the King of the universe. So where do we go from here? Just maybe four points uh, before uh, we, I invite the worship team back up. I think the first one that we have to do is embrace our identity as children of God. This is key. Our identity as children of God trumps all our other identities. You know, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable talking about race. I've done it, I think, my entire life. I've always had these discussions and dialogues with different people in my life, and I just think sometimes I can almost make my identity or the way I see myself as a, you know, a South Asian kid with immigrant parents who moved here a year before I was born as a more primary identity than my identity in Christ. You know, it's easy to see our other identities and how we understand ourselves. This world and the pressures that are around us help us and force us to see it that way. But I, I, I challenge you and I encourage you, ask yourself the question, is the, I, my identity as a child of God the most central identity to my life? Second one is how well do we understand and live in the story of Scripture? I think one thing as, as a culture that I think as, as followers of Jesus that we need to do is just to think biblically. And what I mean by this, this is one of my passions. This is, I think, what will help our church move forward in the years to come and continue to be faithful. We need to not just know God's word. We need to not just love his scripture, but we need to be shaped in the way we think by the revelation and authority that our scriptures are, a gift given to us by God. And a question I'm always asking, how do we understand our identity? How do we understand politics? How do we understand uh, how I minister at work and raise my kids through a biblical worldview? And a question I always want to be challenging people is, and myself as well, is how do we live our lives in light of the story of Scripture? How do we understand that we are created in God's image? to reflect his glory. Yet humankind has sinned and, and, and that sin is broken into the world and we have no solutions to that from ourselves to deal with the problem of sin. Yet Jesus in his great mercy came to this earth, greatest act of justice and righteousness ever, to die on the cross and reconcile the world to himself. And so my question for you is as you spend time in small group, as you spend time in scripture and prayer, how much is the Christian worldview the story of Scripture shaping the way you understand this world. The temptation, I think, for many of us, without realizing it, is the stories and the narratives of this world shape the way we understand Scripture rather than the other way around. Thirdly, how are we intentionally growing in this area? And I'll say this more to people within the walls of the church. How are we placing ourselves in environments where we can learn the fault lines within the church? Last fall, I think in our small group, uh, we had a really great conversation around racism and structural racism and what that looks like. It was a robust discussion, just talking about many different things. And that was great. It's a great place to have those discussions. Yet what I appreciated the most, and this is right after the death of George Floyd, somebody in our small group asked somebody else, a person of color in, our, in their small group, for a private conversation afterwards. And they went with a heart to learn and understand. And they sat down with them and asked questions and learned what was going on in their life and their life experience and how they had grown up with less opportunity and more limitations. And they lived with worry and fear for their family members growing up as black youth in Canada. That's what we need to do. 
We need to keep having intentional conversations and learning and growing so we can understand what is actually happening. As a staff team last month, we went through this little series, which is uh, done by Barnard Institute, which is a Christian research organization. And it challenged us as a team to know the story, to own the story in order to change the story. Know the story, own the story in order to change the story. So much of us, there are many of us who have passions for, for racial justice. We want to see the right thing done. We're angry, we're frustrated, we want to see change. Yet to jump to change without knowing what happened or even owning what happened can't actually affect real change. I think one of the keys, and I think there's a great moment for us here in Canada right now with everything that's happened uh, with the residential schools in our First Nations community to be intentional in our learning. My wife, upon hearing uh, what is kind of going on, realized, like myself as well, like there is more I need to learn before I can speak about this topic. So she, she actually enrolled in a course and she's just learning more about the history, the narrative and the story, listening to First Nations speakers and reading different books and watching different videos. You know, we need to know what's happened in order to own and take ownership for that in order to see change happen through the power of Christ. Finally, we have to ask ourselves, are we asking Christ to continue to expose the sin within us? The reality is we all carry bias. We all have prejudice. Um, I think a great exposure of this is how you view and see people when you drive on the 401. I think it's the greatest uh, analytical tool for sanctification ever. Um, the judgments, the things that come to your mind, the prejudice. May we ask God to expose it and, and, and draw it into the light and confess it to him, confess it to those around us, whether our small group or our accountability partner, and beg him to help change us. As we have been going through this series, as we talk about what is justice from a biblical perspective, we've been talking about what it means to care for the poor. This week we're talking about racial justice. Next week we're talking about racial reconciliation. And we have many other topics to go through. Some of these are going to be a more of a passion area for you uh, as a follower of Jesus. And so my word of encouragement to you, if, if racial justice, if this is something God has put in your heart, go with it. Yet what I would love to see you do is shape all your identities through the identity of being a child of God. Continue to learn from others. Continue to put yourself in places where you can grow. And continue to align your story with God's story and the story of Scripture. So his story shapes and forms the way you see your life. The call for the church is to end those distinctions between Jew and Gentile, between those you know, from Persia to Canada to India to Japan. It is a gospel that calls and unites all humanity together. My prayer for us as we explore this series is that God will give us eyes to see our identity as children of God, that we will live out of his biblical story and we will rise up to be a part of transforming the world, proclaiming this good news of Jesus so that all the world would know and worship the one true God who died on the cross in the greatest act of justice in human history to bring the world to himself. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.